Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm speaking with the incredible Elaine Turner, Houston-based designer, author, speaker, and coach, whose greatest passion is to guide women to believe you are worthy. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Sexually Woke with me, Dr. Susan. And I am so excited I'm about to jump out of my chair because today I have an incredible guest with me, Elaine Turner, who, if any of you know anything, um, if you've lived in Houston or anywhere in the world, you'll recognize her name as a very prominent designer. And now she's gone into a whole bunch of other incredible things. She's an author, speaker, has an online workshop, and just more things than I could mention. So the lady who needs no introduction, Elaine Turner. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, I'm so excited for you to be here. It's hard to know where to start because there's so many things that you have done to reach me and other women around the world. So let's just dive in. I'll, I'll start by telling a story. Okay. I'm going to try not to talk too much, but for years, uh, when I had this big OB-GYN group and all of us were women who had everything, every single birthday or Christmas, we would go to the beautiful Elaine Turner store <laughs> in <laughs> Rice Village and we would buy a gift from there. And I still have lots of these fantastic purses. I've got one right here with me because they last forever. Thank goodness, because she's not making anymore. <laughs> but all that time, I didn't ever really think that Elaine Turner was a real person. You know what I mean? I was yeah. kind of like, and then I found out you lived in Houston and was like, really? She must have be like some kind of superstar. Like I could never be sitting here talking to her, which is really kind of touches into what you're doing now, this whole who am I thing. So right. how did this transition happen? Like where you went from being super designer, having, like you said, all the things, you had all the things to to doing what you're doing now. Yeah, well, you're so sweet to say all those things. But I think what's interesting, what you touched on, and it's kind of a part of my story, is the whole idea that the brand, the facade of the brand, right? So almost like you could literally tangibly think of the sign that it's hard navigating the truth of who you are when you're trying to run like a for-profit fashion brand, right? It, it, it was always sort of a, just being completely vulnerable, like a sort of an inner conflict with me. Cause I was like, you know, yes, I'm going to name it after myself because it's the company I created. All the products were designed and manufactured by me and I was running it and owned it. But I also felt like there's this perception of what it is. that really doesn't match up to the reality of the person. Mm -hmm. And, um, as that has, as I've transitioned away from that, which we can get into the details of what, what that looked like, you know, that's been something that has been healing for me to be able to match up who I really am, kind of breaking that perception of what mm. people thought I should be, right? Yeah. Because especially with fashion. I mean, fashion is an industry that is built on perception and false perceptions. So, so interesting. And I can resonate that with that in a smaller way. You know, I kind of gave up my facade where I wore a white coat and was very much attached to this identity of being a doctor. I gave up delivering babies and doing traditional gynecology. And it was a huge identity. 
I won't say a crisis, but shift to realize that's not really who I am. Mm-hmm. As some part of us is protected behind that wall, don't you think? hundred percent. It's the exact same. It's just like you said, it's through a different lens and through a different experience, but it's the same process of like the formal doctor and knowing that what lies underneath that is is somebody different? It, it doesn't mean that that wasn't a part of you, but but you knew there was something more for you to search out that felt more authentic for you, more yeah, truthful yeah. for you. So that's really fascinating that we have such a like-minded story. But We do in a lot of ways, actually. Um, one of them is that you made this transition when you were 47, as you discussed in your book. And I want to talk about this incredible book that Elaine wrote. That happened to me when I was 47 too. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this is when menopause is happening. I mean, <laughs> totally. not that it's caused all yeah. by hormonal change, but no, no, no. It's, don't you think it's real? <laughs> this time around 45 to 50, all this shit is happening, right? We've reached the top of our careers, perhaps. Our kids are struggling. Mine were too. And you've got mm-hmm. your own stories about yeah. being a mom and, mm-hmm. and challenges with kids. Our parents are getting sick or dying. Uh, we're just flooded with all of these major transitions all at once. And then the hormonal stuff on top of it, we're gaining weight, our sex drive's going away. No wonder sometimes it turns into a little bit of a blender of like, shoot, I need to do something different. A hundred percent. I think that, and I, I think I'm still to a certain degree experiencing that. I feel like that I'm that sandwich, they call it, you know, you're the sandwich generation where you're stuck between you're still raising your kids who need you so desperately every day, but your parents are in extreme vulnerable states with health and aging and, and transitioning really. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, it's really difficult. I don't think we talk about it enough. And then talking about the physical of being a woman and what is, really happening inside of our bodies just adds that extra layer of, of when you wake up. And sometimes there's a sense of hopelessness. Like how can I be all the things that people expect me to be when number one, I don't feel good. I don't feel as sexy as I used to. I don't feel like, I feel like a part of me. I also had a big crisis with, I felt like I had lost a part of myself. You Mm -hmm. know, I was so busy meeting outside expectations, people pleasing, trying to make my business perfect, trying to be the best representative I could be, but knowing I was sort of losing myself crushed under the weight of that. And, um, and it's not something that just goes away. You're just more aware of it. So you're able, I think, to kind of, um, manage it better in a more healthy way. Like six years ago, I wasn't as aware. And now I've I've done so much inner work that I'm very aware of of what those pressures look like. And I can see myself falling into those patterns that lead to negative outcomes, (laughs) i.e. feeling depressed, um, overwhelmed, all of those things that I think we should be much more open to talk about as women. Um, but I, I, I'm glad that you're, that you're talking about it all and that the book that you wrote and saying, and really talking about the nuance involved and the depth of, of finding the truth of who you are and knowing that, knowing your natural tendencies, knowing, um, kind of your hangups, if you will, where you tend to lose yourself. You know, for me, it was sort of this undying feeling of not being enough. Mm. And, um, and then you, once you do that work, you can see yourself doing it. You can catch yourself and get back to that center, you know, yeah. that truth. Oh, and that's such a, 
a, a beautiful way to look at it because if we're not aware of what's going on inside and how we tick, there's no way that I can see that we can move forward. One of the funny things I noticed um, in your bio is that you're an Enneagram junkie, which I am too. <laughs> and a lot of our listeners are Enneagram junkies because I talk about it all the time. And if you haven't heard what that is, um, the Enneagram test is a, an amazing mm-hmm. personality test that I think is just a doorway into really understanding yourself. Mm-hmm. So are you a three? I'm a four with a three wing. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. built on very much the emotion. Mm-hmm. I'm driven by my heart. I'm driven by feeling understood emotionally. Um, but then I have all of that other achievement and external and I want to perform. So it's it's actually not the easiest combination, you yeah. know, um, because they kind of contradict each other. It's like I want to be authentic and be truly who I am. But then at the same time, I'm trying to fit in. So yeah. And it's so fascinating. So so I just, you can't ever guess someone's Enneagram type, as you can see, because I'm an Enneagram coach and I just got it wrong because I was focusing on the perfectionism aspect of what Elaine talks about. So I'm changing the subject here a little bit, but just find out your Enneagram type because it's so helpful. I'm an eight with a seven wing. And if you guys don't know what that means. It's a lot of things like Elaine's talking about. There's a lot of uh, ways that I can understand the way I do things and, and see myself when I'm going down those old rabbit holes that lead to outcomes that aren't so good. So take that test. You can you can do it online. It's amazing. So that's just a little cool thing I learned about Elaine, that yeah. she loves Enneagrams yeah, I too. Do. I love and I actually have a, my, my kids, I have a four and a three, a pri- oh, primary four and a primary Aww. three. And you always have other stuff. I mean, it doesn't put you in a box. You've got different parts. But yeah, so I'm familiar with those. Yeah, that's so fun. Um, So I want to talk about this incredible book. So Elaine wrote this book, and I was really lucky to get a copy of it at a talk that she gave a couple of years ago. And it's absolutely amazing. You need to go get it. It's called Breaking the Glass Slipper, Debunking the Myths that Hold Women Back, which, hey, that's just a great thing to do. Um, It's a best-selling book. It's on Amazon, uh, Breaking the Glass Slipper. So I could just read the whole book out to listeners because I've got so many parts that I wanted to talk about. But there's a few little bits that I'd love to talk about that really resonated with me. First of all, the glass slipper thing is a Cinderella image. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the we all know the Cinderella story and uh, this idea or t- tell me how this works for you. I have a vision of this, this trying to fit in to something. And, and breaking that, all of these limiting beliefs that were handed as women about what we can do and that uh, the image of the slipper just to me is about fitting in mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. how hard that is and how mm-hmm. we're limited mm-hmm. so much. That's exactly what it was about, the yeah. metaphor of of what that really means and how um, it's untrue. You know, it's not about fitting in to any prototype, any slipper. It's about uh, owning the truth of who you are all of it, you know, the good, the bad, the messy. It's about knowing that you are whole and you are worthy regardless of your weight, of your bank account, of your job changes, of your marriage changes, whatever it looks like for you, that you are enough and mm. you're essentially good yeah. no matter what society is preaching, what misconceptions you've attached yourself to, what cultural conditioning that you've been a part of. But knowing that once you adopt that perspective, you switch your lens from a place of scarcity to a place of abundance, knowing that 
and, and I'm actually going through some stuff right now where I'm kind of really going back into those kind of grounded teachings that I've, I've spent so much time on with myself is that knowing that, you know, regardless of all of these things, even your circumstances, even really difficult times, that you don't have to even become your pain, right? You don't have to become your circumstances, that you can transcend so much of what is happening outside of you and knowing your wholeness. And once you know your wholeness, then you're free to fall and you're free to fail and you're free to stumble because you know you can get right back up and know you're essentially good. So it's not really about like, oh, I'm whole, I'm giving up. Like, oh, I'm, I know I'm enough. No, it's actually the opposite. It's like I can go out there and be completely holy and perfectly human and know that I am good and I'm essentially whole. And that just makes me know I'm never going to give up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many things in there that I just was like, yes. Let me just start with one of them because I've got about 10 in my head right now. So I'm thinking this whole Cinderella story, and there's a quote that I love. <laughs> um, what There's all these myths that uh, Elaine talks about in the book. One of them, um, these myths that are not true, is that if I'm nice, pretty, polite, gracious, and hardworking, then justice will most certainly prevail, or better yet, I will be saved, which is the Cinderella story. And I'm thinking, if that was actually true, okay, she would have married a guy she just met yesterday and ended up in a castle um, with no identity of her own. Reminded me of Princess Diana, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. who kind of had, yeah, yeah, I mean, had a horrible, awful life full of depression and ultimately lost her life. Um, That is not a great aspiration to me to try to stuff yourself into a square hole if you're a round peg and and that princess life. I mean, we've just seen that it doesn't work. But the Cinderella story just remains in Uh in hundreds of forms throughout our culture that if we're pretty and nice and – I mean, why was she chosen? Just only one reason because she was pretty. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was, and she was nice and yeah. she worked hard. I think, I think a lot of it too, and I like to talk to women about this, but I think a lot of it is, it's not our fault, right? I mean, and it's not even our parents' fault. I, I think that, especially our generation, I think we were kind of that first generation that were kind of sold this idea, like you can have it all, you can be, I, I wasn't able to, I mean, I don't know about your mother or your grandmother, but I had huge matriarchal power people in my life, but there were limitations in what they could, could do outside of the family, outside of the home, just based on the culture at the time. Right. And, um, and, and my mom, who's a very powerful person, but married really young, attached a lot of her identity to who she married, you know, ended up having a very successful husband. And and then later in life, she actually opened her own publishing company and has since kind of come full circle. But my point is, is I think, it's sort of generational that that idea is sold to women is that's kind of your way out. Like that's how you're going to be successful in life. And I, I do think that it's very specific. I think our generation is unique in the way that even though we've been sold all of this, that we have, we get educations, we have, we can be anything that even within that incredible mantra that we know we can be all these things, there's a lot of pressure with possibilities, you know, where, and also we didn't really have the model of how do I do that? How do I walk this maze 
And I think a lot of us have, been, have ended up having identity crisis, have had it, mm-hmm. having kind of like, and here we are trying to mentor and model to the younger generation, the millennials, but we're trying to figure out, well, what the hell? I don't know which way to turn on the maze, you know, like left <laughs> or right. Like, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out too. Like mm-hmm. I want to be, you know, married and I'd love to have a couple of kids and I want a career, but it's not like I had a rule, like a guidebook to mm-hmm. show me. And so I think what's interesting about all of these myths and all is there's not, I say this a lot in my speeches, there is not a one size fits all model to anything. And it's really goes back to doing the work and really understanding who you are, not who Elaine is, not who Susan is, not who Melanie is, not who anybody. It's really figuring out, you know, who am I? What is it that I know that I need and that I want? And that seems and rings true to me on the deepest part of myself? And then how do I build a life around that? And it could be never getting married. It could be, I know I want to be a badass career person. And I know that, and maybe your journey shifts later in life. But I think what happens is our generation, I didn't do a lot of that work. I just thought I need to kind of be like my mom, or I need to like follow the rules. I need to go do all these things. I need to be this person. And then all of a sudden I hit 47. I'm like, shit, this isn't working out very well. Yeah. I need to change it. I resonate with that so much. I was talking on a podcast a couple of weeks ago about this idea that I got to 47. I don't know why that seems to be a magic age for many of us. (laughs) And I really felt like, I mean, my life wasn't terrible. I mean, I achieved great things, but I'd been on a conveyor belt is what it felt like. I jumped on and I just went along and I started realizing that the choices that led me there weren't necessarily my own. And listening to the voices, like, what what are these voices that are driving me? Is it me? Are Mm -hmm. these really things that are in line with my authentic core values? And it turned out that the answer was no to a lot of things. Like, wait a second this is not really in line with my authentic Mm -hmm. core values, what I'm doing right now. So I need to change that so I can live a life of authenticity and live in what I like talking about. Yeah, freedom. And I love that word or just my full aliveness Mm -hmm. because all these things you're talking about are about getting rid of limiting beliefs, right? Which are by definition limiting. Mm -hmm. So what a cool idea if we stop being limited, like how how big can we be? Like mm-hmm. if we just let mm-hmm. ourselves be. Mm-hmm. And that made me remember another thing that I wanted to pick up on what you said, this idea of um, starting with acceptance. And and you touched on that in what you said earlier, but um, not that you're always going to be perfect and sort of go out there and everything's going to work perfectly. No, of course it isn't. But some part of it that you talk about in your book too is starting from a place of acceptance that who I am is enough. Does that, I mean, a lot of people ask me when I talk about starting with acceptance, well, doesn't that just mean I'm not going to do anything? I'm just going to sit here and be a blob. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Which of course it's not. So how does, how does that work for you? How do you accept yourself and then still go out there and be an activist, which you are, I think I'd be fair to say, starting with acceptance? Because a lot of people misunderstand that. I mean, acceptance is not resignation. Yeah. Acceptance is freedom. And I think that it gets a bad rap, just like a lot of other words that I think get misconstrued. But once you accept not only yourself, but also the reality of your situation, right? So I have a special needs daughter. So acceptance has been a huge journey for me to accept that I can't fix her condition. I can unconditionally love her and guide her through this lifetime as her mother, but I can't fix her and I can't be her. 
And so I have to accept what her limitations are, what her disability looks like. And it's taken me years, right? Because she's a mother and as a woman, I'm a fixer. You know, I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm going to go find the best doctors. I'm going to do all this stuff. And that's been a huge journey for me. So when I talk about acceptance, I talk about once you allow yourself to take off your armor, to stop living in resistance to what is, then you can soften your lens and really see your situation through new eyes and then begin to take steps to make it better. I think so many of us live in resistance mode. We just decide I'm bitter about it. I'm resentful about it. I'm not going to really actually look at it through new eyes where I can see maybe even the magic and the beauty and the spirituality behind what I'm living through, I'm just going to be pissed off about it. And, you know, there's a lot of power in that too. There's like, I think there's a retaining, I want to retain power by not accepting who I am and not accepting, it's almost like I'm going to stick here in the mud and I'm just going to be mad about it. But really, I think that is what the definition of prolonged suffering is. Mm -hmm. So I've had to come a long way to say, no, this is it. I live with this child. It's chronic stress every single day of my life. Today was a hard day. Didn't go to school. Had a reset day. Um, and it's it's not, and I have to every day do that work. And so it's also, this is all practice, you know? Like this is not, oh, I go and, you know, I go to Miraval for a week and all of a sudden I found myself. I mean, this is <laughs> lifetime work. It's not, and I also don't like the whole idea that doing this type of work is selfish. I think that doing this type of work is selfless. I think it helps you show up for people in a way that you never could have have without really understanding who you are. I'm a huge self-awareness person. Once you know more about yourself, you're not trying to fit into these boxes. You're knowing like, no, 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 this isn't the right road for me. Even though society's preaching it or my mom's preaching it or whoever's preaching it, the right road for me doesn't look anything like this. And I think that's when people really, really find freedom. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. And uh, sometimes I just think you know, we must have been sisters in another life because I'm like, oh, I totally get that just from a a different um, lens. Like we came through different conditioning, grew up different families and different careers. But uh, so many of us, if we're lucky and do the work, kind of get to this point where we have these understandings. And uh, you and I share some favorite authors too that you mentioned. Uh, One of them is um, Pema Chodron, and she wrote a book called Unconditional Confidence, which I love this idea, and it kind of reminds me of what you were saying. Unconditional confidence doesn't mean I'm walking around all day like I'm a badass or anything like that. It's just knowing that whatever happens is workable. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's this sort of, I got this feeling, yeah, and yeah. shit's going to happen, as uh-huh. is, but I'm not going to, well, maybe sometimes. My aspiration is I'm not going to fall apart and be like, somebody help me, I can't do, you know that I I can I can do whatever comes at me. And that's just comes through trusting yourself, yes, right? Yes, it does. But you can't trust yourself if you don't know who's right. here. It's like I always like to say that like inner I think really inner trust is really having inner confidence, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's really all goes back to self-trust. And I I, I like what you I, I like to talk I go back for a second about women. I think that women are unique beings and that we feel so we feel so much pressure to exceed in almost all areas right and i think some of that goes back primal and i think some of it is cultural conditioning and the fact that 
men and women, even today, aren't getting paid the same. And men have a different level on the food chain. They just do. It doesn't mean we can't get there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the reality is many women today don't live in the same equal condition conditions as a man. And so I think women really, really fall victim to losing the sense of themselves because they think, well, my way to win is to become something else. So if you're in the corporate world, I'll become more like a man to get the corner office. Or if I, you know, if I'm in the country club circuit and I want to be a socialite, whatever, I'm not trying to put anyone down, then I'll become you know, a false version of myself that is, uh, you know, really, really aligned with materialism and, and getting invited to all the right parties. Or if I'm in the mother thing, I'm going to become the very best mother. I'm going to volunteer the most. I'm gonna, I think that women feel that's, I think, a part of our coping to find our power is like, and that's why I just, I, what I'm saying is underneath all of that is grace because it's not our fault. I think women are unconsciously trying to survive just like anybody else. And I think, I wish we talked about that more. Yeah. And I'm so glad you're talking about it because it's really important. It's not your problem. It becomes so impersonal to me when I think about it the way you were saying. Um, it's the problem, or maybe it's not even a problem. Let's not use that word. Um, it's the situation that we find ourselves in, what we inherited. So it's not your fault, and it's not just you. It's not just you. This is some, these are things that we all share. Yes, even Elaine Turner. Like so. So if you look and you might say, okay, well, you're Dr. Susan and she's Elaine Turner, so you can do this stuff, but I can't because I'm just regular person. We're so regular person. Just saying, like mm-hmm. we have been through all kinds of things just like you and have the same feelings and the same heartbreaks and same challenges and um, regrets and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's no person who is, um, has it all figured out just saying a hundred percent. Right. And so this is, this is for everybody. And I so don't have it figured out a lot of the time I'm learning more to to be able to stay in that space of unconditional confidence more often, but sure isn't all the time. No, I mean, no. I fall apart quite of often, course, yeah. And and, yeah. and because we're human, we're yeah. not enlightened yet, and yeah. and we're probably not going to be. Yeah, and you're supposed to. I think falling apart is actually a part of the growth. It's a part of the. It's the phoenix. It's a part of. If part of growing, a part of evolving is falling apart. Yeah, you know. And yeah. I think another thing, just to interject on the the woman thing is that I, I get really um, a BMI bonnet about the personal development genre that we focus so much on. It's just these sort of empty phrases and empty mantras of, you know, you can do it. You can be it. You, it's all this like preach, preach, preach. It's like toxic positivity mm-hmm. without really anything behind it. Instead of really talking the truth about what you and I are talking about, of two women who've accomplished a fair amount, who are really saying, no, it's, it's not about me just being a cheerleader to you. It's about me accepting you completely and as you are today right here, right now, meeting you where you are, whatever that looks like. And I get a little bit tweaked about when you go on Instagram and it's all this like, I don't know, just these phrases and quotes that just don't mean anything. It's just kind of like, you know, I don't know, one of them is like, hope is not a strategy. Well, 
basically meaning if you try harder, you can't. Well, okay, I get it. But hope is so important Mm -hmm. to even when you're falling apart is having is holding on to the idea that there is something more. There is there is light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't you know, I just feel like sometimes it's harsh. That world can be very harsh to me. Yeah. Talk about a way to (laughs) make yourself feel worse, uh, to try to live up to that kind of perfection. And I agree with that. This toxic positivity thing is uh, really not helpful. I mean, it's the we're talking about the whole picture, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. 10,000 joys, the 10,000 sorrows. You don't, there's no part of you that you, that I want to not love or myself, the, especially the parts that need love that were disowned by me or someone else when I was younger, like especially those parts. And mm-hmm. um, we can talk about Elaine's work she's doing online right now that a big part of it is self-compassion. And I'm obsessed with Kristen Neff and all the stuff she does. Like that is so important to talk to ourselves like our own best friend. So I want to talk to you about your course courses that you mm-hmm. offer too, because yeah, it, we're not saying, you know, disown parts of yourself that are not pretty or that you don't like, or that you're ashamed of or have regrets about. It's accepting the whole person, whether mm-hmm. it's me or another being that I interact with um, and starting from there, like mm-hmm. you're, you're good enough already and we're inherently perfect in all those things. One of the things I wanted to, this is my favorite chapter, um, about, this is chapter three, a myth that other women must be your rivals. Mm-hmm. And I think you spoke to that a little bit, and I, I heard a little bit in what you were saying about how important it is for us to, to understand that we're all going through this together. Mm-hmm. And I think that I certainly lived in this myth of other women should mm-hmm. be your rivals mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. most of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, you know, ob Jen and mm-hmm. a woman mm-hmm. and competing to be the best one. And, you know, it's in some sense that um, put a screen between me and any type of intimate connection I could have with them. But now I, I totally uh, believe the opposite, that we've got to have really deep so- same-sex friendships and, and support each other as women. Because that that myth just keeps us feeling like there's something wrong with me, mm-hmm. right? Because we're not, not enough. Yeah, we're not sharing because there's this competition. So mm-hmm. if I'm in competition with you, I'm sure it's like mm-hmm. not going to share yeah. that I'm not having a bad day. Yeah, I mean it's rooted in scarcity, right? It's that there's yeah. not another seat at the table. Mm-hmm. There's not another man that would love me. There's not you know the next job. It's really rooted in there's not enough. I'm not enough. And that, and that again, grace, I think it's also unconscious. I think women, we're all ultimately built to survive. So we're doing, we're, if we're using coping tactics like that, that are, that are not positive, it's just because it's truly out of just trying to make it, you know, it's not, I, you know, rarely is it pathological or something, you know, I rarely, I think that women are really kind of, it's, it's more of just an unconscious way of being like, oh, well, I saw this modeled before me and this is how I'm going to get ahead. And, um, I think it is one of the biggest, probably prohibitive areas for women and how we will remain, I don't know how what the right word is, but sort of in an oppressed state, if you will, if oh, we are yes. against each other. Right. I mean, that whole idea is keeping us down. I mean, as long as we don't collaborate with each other and, and really support each other as women, we're being encouraged to 
fight against each other mm-hmm. and, and what a better mm-hmm. way to keep somebody down. Um, but yes, it, it's no part of this is suggesting that if you do that, which I did for most of my life, there's something wrong with you. We mm-hmm. all do the best mm-hmm. we can yeah. with what we have at the time. That was what I knew. That was the best that I had at the time. I've learned some things since then. So I've learned that for me, there's a, a healthier way to be with other mm-hmm. women, which mm-hmm. is to to really let your guard down and just mm-hmm. be vulnerable. We mm-hmm. do that in our women's circles and through sharing like this, where we're saying, look, we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and listen to my stories about mm-hmm. failure, because maybe you can connect with, with that idea that we've all struggled. And as much as we can do that, uh, you know, I think we're really becoming stronger as women and realizing that these myths are holding us back, right? hundred percent. And I think that sharing our stories is really, it's really our gateway to connection, I think, as women and, and being vulnerable and not feeling like you have to wear the armor all the day, all the time that you're perfect and um, that you have the perfect life or the perfect marriage or all those things that I think we attach our identities to. I think once we really begin to share and tell the truth of the whole picture, you know, all of it, the warts, the wounds, the joys, all of it, then I think we can really come together in, in such a healthier, more authentic way, mm-hmm. whole, you know, and I, th- and I totally agree with you that as I've aged, my friendships have become my savior. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I would do without my friends, uh, honestly, that uh, just a total release of acceptance, right? Like we accept you whether you have those stores or not. Mm-hmm. That's not why we're ever friends with you to begin with. Yeah. And that's a huge gift. Women friends. Well, huge. and some people, I don't know if this was true. Some people might have been your friends because you had oh, those yeah, stores. Oh, yeah, no. And I they, know they're not now. Right. <laughs> they, they unfollowed me. fell away. Right. Um Oh, gosh, one of the things that I find the hardest, you know, of course, I have to engage with, I don't, let me, I don't like to say I have to do anything. I choose to engage with social media in a limited fashion <laughs> I because I have a business. But one of the things that that I struggle with is seeing what I perceive to be, I could never get in someone's shoes and know what's going on in their life, but what I perceive to be um a, a, a sort of falseness and presentation of what's going on. Like I'll look at my perfect life and my perfect <laughs> husband and look at my beautiful family. And my story is that there's some subconscious intention on that side to be better than mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And I have such an aversion to that now mm-hmm. that I really can't look at it very much. And, mm-hmm. and really I have compassion for that person. Cause I used to be that person yeah, that, that's trying so too. hard to be mm-hmm. better than. And just the whole idea, I'm exactly like you, I'm on it and I'm always trying to share my vulnerabilities, but you can never show up fully as, as who you are through a digital format. I mean, at all. I mean, there's no, you can't curate snapshots and call that your life. You know, that's not a life. It's an illusion. So ultimately, it's all a lie anyway. I mean, no one likes to hear that. but yeah. And it's just fun and addictive, and we love to scroll through it and see the lie. But it's not – no one's life are those curated snapshots. And so – and I'm look, and I'm on it. I'm not saying – and I have a couple of cute selfies too. I'm not saying that I'm immune from that. I'm just saying that if we can just see it for what it is and catch ourselves – like I've taken so many breaks, and I realize this is not – this is not adding to my life. Yeah. Or even just who I'm following – muting people and realizing like, I don't want to see this anymore. You know, I don't want to see another picture in the mirror of her cute 
jeans. <laughs> I don't want to do that right now. I'm Which bloated is, today. One of the so one of the healthiest that. things that I think you can develop in your life, you just talked about it, is watching what you consume. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking just about food and drinks, but media, mm-hmm. social media. Totally. You know, because what we we don't realize in, it. Yeah. It, yeah. It, um, you know, we've got bazillions of choices mm-hmm. of what to pay attention to. So really be careful what you pay attention to. And 100%. I talk, talk a lot about that because what we pay attention to sort of becomes the path of our lives. I went off on a tangent, but yes, I'm like, hallelujah <laughs> to that. I've got, I want to talk about all these other things, know, but there's this other thing in your book that I love. I just loved it when you said this, because I say this too, about work-life balance, which Elaine and I both have kind of drew a line through that idea. Like, I tried so hard, and we talked about it all the time at my work uh, place at, at the time, that we were trying to achieve work-life balance as if there was work and then there was life, and they were two different things. <laughs> and I sort of when I had my waking up or falling apart or whatever you call it when I was 47, realized like, wait a second, work is my life or it's a big part of it. So mm-hmm. so do I have to be miserable at work and then balance it with happy time when I get home. Like, couldn't we, mm-hmm. you know, can't we find a way to live authentically all day long? Right. Um, and I love, uh, Lane calls it work-life integration. Mm-hmm. Um, her quote, I agree. I'm just going to say it. I don't believe in work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So talk about that for a second, because I think that's such a, ugh, I don't like that well, concept it's one either. Of, it's one of those ideologies or mantras that were preached, like Mm. work-life balance, you can have it all. It's all that stuff that we hear. And I think that um, inherently at the root of what I don't like about that phrase is it's like pitting one against the other, Yeah, like what you said. And I don't think that they can be. I don't think, I don't really believe in like your life is all compartmentalized. I mean, yes, there are Obviously, when you're with a patient, you have to be who you are and that very professional, astute, you know, your acumen and your intelligence. But you're still you and you should walk out of the room knowing like, but I'm still wholly me, even if I am showing up as that part of me. And I think that um, we've lied to ourselves telling each other like, well, like you can't cry at work or you can't this at work. It's like, no, actually you're a human being. Like I used to tell the girls that work for me all the time, like the one would come in and have a bad day or I just found my, my dad has cancer's back. I, I'm, I'd be like, yeah, you know, sit down for five minutes or go grab a coffee or leave, like do whatever you want to do. That's going to make you feel whole. Cause this isn't about you not being you just cause we're designing handbags right now, you know? And I think that that's all bullshit. I think that that's what I'm saying. It's like so much of what we're taught is not true. And so there is no work-life balance. It's your Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. And can you, could you possibly show up at work as yourself? And and what would be wrong with that? And I think, I mean, I'm afraid the reality is for a lot of people that that wouldn't you know, that might not go over well. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not saying you might need a new job, but maybe you might need a new job. Like I want to work in an environment where I can be myself in the morning, in the afternoon, right. when I get home with my kids of course. so that I don't have to put on all these different um, 
hats and, and pretend to be right, yeah. pretend to be something different when I'm at work, pretend to be something different when I go to the PTA meeting, pretend to be something different in all these different settings. That's exhausting. I know. Oh, it's so tiring. And it's not, it's not like we're saying, I mean, there's, there's obviously guardrails in life to a lot of situations. You know, obviously there's social norms and how you might be at church versus how you might be, you know, having wine with your best friend. I mean, yeah, there's different... But and underneath all of that, you should feel completely whole in who you are. And so it's not that I'm saying like I, as a leader, which I led a, a team of women, I was very vulnerable, I, you know, transparent. But yeah, I also had guardrails around, you know, making sure they knew that I was coming from a place of strength and a place of a truth and that I was accountable and that I was, I didn't want to just all of a sudden kind of, how do I say this? Like make them afraid of something in the, I was like, yeah, no, I'm the leader. This is my business. I'm going to take care of this, but yeah, you're right. Right now that store's struggling. So I would be honest, but I wouldn't necessarily make it their problem either. Cause it's my company, you know? So there were guardrails, but I think they would walk out knowing, well, cause she's being honest. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that what happens is there's so much barriers and, lies and egos get in the way of like, well, I'm not going to really share the truth and I'm just going to hide behind my ego and hide behind, you know, that I, you know, that I'm so strong and so Teflon and tough that I don't need to really, well, I don't think people respond to that. I think people see through that, like, oh, that's not the true story. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think, you know, it's not easy. That's why I don't want to like have this girl like, oh yeah, just be you. And it's all easy. It's hard, mm, but so you hard. have to be discerning about kind of who you are, how you're showing up, and when you also know that you are losing a sense of who you really, you know, you're yeah. faking it if you are. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So being being yourself doesn't mean you can sort of yeah, exactly. just do whatever. Yeah. I love like Brene Brown talks yeah. about oversharing. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't do that. No. But um, in all in all parts of our life, work and at home or wherever we are, that we are showing up as ourselves and not somebody else. Yes. And there's different versions of what people get to see, you know, based on what's appropriate for the setting and and how much is appropriate to share and all of those things. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just found personally such an incredible sense of relief when I didn't have to figure out who I was supposed to act like. Um, it just now it's it's there is a sense of ease, and it's not easy. It's not easy, but the, it does come with a sense of ease once you know a good bit about who you are because then you don't have to decide what to do. It just sort of comes from your heart. Have you? Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, something shifts right. internally so, where you realize, like I think especially for me, I've kind of seen, I've become much more aware of like when I'm falling into those patterns or those triggers or I have a little bit of an issue with my emotions can run amok and then I can just sort of completely believe them, you know, like, oh, I'm, my feelings will take the wheel mm-hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't always behoove me, right? Because I'm not using all parts of myself. I'm not bringing my mind in. I'm not bringing my gut in. I'm just all, you know, and um, so you're right. Like, I think that there's these shifts that you have once you decide I want to be fully me and it's not all easy and fun. It's not like, la, la, you know, it's not sound of music when you're like, Oh, I'm me. It's actually kind of messy and hard and exhausting. And some people aren't going to like it, yeah. you know? And so it's going back to this people pleasing thing that some of us are, or many of us struggle with um, being a people pleaser. I think that it's fair to say that women struggle with that more than men. 
um, giving that up in some sense. And I don't mean not trying, you know, of course we want to be, we want to belong. We want to be liked. We want all those things and that's healthy, but uh, not to the extent that we lose ourselves. So when I sort of stopped worrying so much about what other people would think, mm-hmm. yeah, some people didn't like it and and they are no longer in my life, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but another group of people did really yeah. like it. Yeah. So we're not trying to, I'm not trying to have everybody love me because they're just not going to. Some people don't like this podcast. Some people probably hate my book and that's okay because they can do whatever they want to do. It's like boundaries really Mm -hmm. is kind of what you've built these healthy boundaries and this acceptance of who you really are and knowing that, you know, boundaries are so essential in life. And I think that also has a misconception behind what boundaries really are, but it's really about knowing who you are and knowing what you can and cannot do. And I think that, um, I've, I've had to work on that just recently. I'm having to do some caring detachment, if you will, around certain people in my life that I feel like I'm really becoming so drained and I'm a nurturer Mm -hmm. automatically. I'm empathetic. I want to feel you. I want to hear it. I want to I want to sit with your pain, but then I realize there's a part of me that's like, oh gosh, I don't know if I can, there's a part of me that's a little bit losing out, you know, like I'm starting to suffer. So I'm having, so and here I am, you know, 50 years old, still working on that, working on building those boundaries. I had a huge conversation with my husband this weekend about it. Like I need to detach a little bit or I'm going to die out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so and it's, this is beautiful because it doesn't ever stop. I mean, this isn't a process that you get it and then you're done. Oh it's God, a no. lifelong process. And I think women like uh, me and Elaine who have started on this path are excited to talk about it because we've just started on this path. Like in 10, 20 years, we'll be completely different and hopefully even yeah. a little bit wiser. But right. um you know, just recognizing that it's a path towards freedom, which is something that I love that you mentioned. So freedom from what? I'm thinking of freedom from these limiting beliefs, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Freedom from feeling like you have to be something that you're not. Mm. Um, Freedom from perfectionism, from people pleasing, from, I think, too high of expectation of yourself and not, I think grace is huge. I don't think we give ourselves enough grace for our humanity, right? Um, so it's really freedom from all of those things that restrict us. Which really makes me think about this amazing online stuff that you're offering now. So if you go to Elaine Turner's website now, it used to be all this incredible design stuff. <laughs> and now you're going to see something different, right? <laughs> yeah. So tell me about how Know Your Worth came about. So you you actually wrote the book when you still were um, in the design business, which is interesting. So I, I'm sort of curious if you wrote it again, if you would change anything. That's one question because you was still, if I wrote my book, it'd be slightly different now because I'm, yeah. I'm a different person than I was then. But after the book, which I'm going to mention again, um, Breaking the Glass Slipper, Eileen Turner, got to get it. It's amazing how to free ourselves from these limiting beliefs. And then, so then decided to make this huge step to mm-hmm. uh, stop being Elaine Turner, the designer. Mm-hmm. Like how did, how did oh, that feel? so hard. I mean, I think it was a series of things. And um, it ultimately the business... I was not who I wanted to be within 
what was happening. And retail, our business, just totally honestly, we were very much weighted on our brick and mortar. I mean, our digital was there, but our brick and mortar was the bread and butter. And, you know, shame on me, I guess, because that was not, you know, I mean, Amazon is real and ease and convenience is real. And women really started shifting their priorities. The consumer experience changed from one of, I really want to go in and have an intimate experience and almost like a stylist, if you will, like go into a shop and park and have to ease and convenience. I want it at my doorstep. And, you know, we've seen this through all the models, the direct-to-consumer models and, you know, the in-home shopping models that women are really wanting more. How does this fit into my lifestyle? Because everybody's lifestyles become so amped up. So brick and mortar started to really shift. And I had, you know, gotten outside investors and started opening up all these stores and the traffic changed and women's needs changed. So then we started pumping a lot more capital behind the digital. But just being completely real with you, our size sort of prohibited us from really being able to compete in the digital world like someone like, um, you know, a digital based company like you know, Intermix or Revolve or, you know, there's a lot of them out there, Shopbop or, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not built that way. And so we came to this really difficult decision um, in 2019 where we just started saying we got to get out of our leases and we got to either figure out how we're going to switch it mostly to digital or, or not do it or take a step back. And at that time, my daughter was hitting her tween years and changing schools and she has special needs. And I was in a total stress zone of that. And my son had just left for college. So I was going through all of these changes. And then my husband, who worked with me, which was such a blessing, I look back now and thank God he was there with me, had also started transitioning to just family-wise and sustainability. He started looking and got involved with a a new company in Dallas. And I had a chance to really make a choice. And my choice was to not do it, is to to step back. And it doesn't mean I won't ever do it again. That's the other big thing I like to tell women. It doesn't mean that like, oh, my life's over in fashion. Like, no, I just had a, I realized that what was happening in that specific circumstance was no longer sustainable for me emotionally and physically, mentally, every way. So I take a step back and I started telling my story. So I started doing more speeches, um, really meeting with women, talking with women. And that led me to like, what if I started offering this in a more formal format where people could kind of benefit from what I've gone through or hopefully some of the insight and wisdom that I've gained and offer it to them in a framework. And I have called it Know Your Worth. And it's really a three-part series digital course where women can engage and really three big aspects. One is self-awareness, one is self-compassion, and one is self-acceptance. And so each course takes you through um, it really like tools, practical tools in your life, all the insight and wisdom that I've gained, the people that Kristen Neff and Brene Brown, all the people that have really helped me get to where I am just emotionally. Um, And I just kind of lay it out for them. The first one's really based on self-awareness and it's, it's really fun. It's discover. It's called the discover course and it's kind of Enneagrammy. So you get to know more about your natural tendencies and how you process your thoughts, emotions, and beliefs and how that kind of helps you um, come to more self-acceptance really. And then we go deeper and awaken where we excavate our limiting beliefs. And then we have manifest where we manifest the truth of who we are. So I haven't even launched awaken and manifest. I've only launched discover. And I launched it last October and I kind of, I was going to launch it this spring and I've hit a reset button because I'm in a little bit of a personal crisis with my daughter and my parents are both very ill. My mom has 
uh, terminal stage four breast cancer and my dad has Alzheimer's and my daughter is 16 and going through a huge transition um, emotionally and struggling with, you know, I think being an adolescent with, with the disability, I, I know some people don't like that word, but I'm okay saying it because she has a disability. You know, talk about being in that sandwich. Um, yeah. And I think it's so amazing that you're sharing this because these are things that yeah. are things that people don't talk about enough. Mm-hmm. And so many women will hear this, I'm sure, and be like, oh, God, me too. Like, yeah, me too. And the courage that I hear in the, these decisions are not easy. I mean, oh. the other part I love about that, you you, you can have the most successful um, – career in the world and Elaine did and it it's okay for things to end at least and I'm not telling you that I'm just saying my experience is um that things have a lifespan Mm -hmm. like nothing Mm -hmm. is permanent Mm -hmm. and it's not a failure to stop being an OB-GYN like I did or for Elaine to decide to stop her design business and pivot to something else and it's not a failure for you if you're listening to decide that whatever you're doing might have reached the end of its mm-hmm. lifespan yeah. if it's not serving mm-hmm. you anymore mm-hmm. uh, I, I think of those as amazing successes yeah. of being able to make those decisions transform you mm-hmm. could stay in it and just be you know forcing which I used to do like really trying to force something to work that isn't really supposed to be there anymore that's yeah that's what was happening I was just every day trying so hard to make it work. And then when I finally had that choice presented to me, because for a long time I thought, well, wait, this is our livelihood. I got to figure it out. But then things shifted. I was able to say, I got to hit a reset button and started down this path of a lot of work, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, um, you know, dealt with the failure card, dealt with the identity crisis. Um, and I think has have come out a different, kind of anew, right? Like Mm -hmm. renewed, like, you know, yeah, that was all really hard, but I know who I am is not tied into what I do. And it doesn't mean that I'm not totally passionate about my offering and my contribution and who I want to serve in the world. But I know that the essence of me transcends that Mm -hmm. the essence of me is eternal. Right. And so all of that, all of that has changed me. And And I've even now I'm kind of going through a little bit of a a reset button where I'm trying to figure out how fashion comes back into this program through body image and acceptance and how I could get back into manufacturing some pieces that almost complement the Know Your Worth program where I can talk to women about discovering their individual style, discovering what clothes can do for them from a confidence perspective. Like I said, regardless of all those things I mentioned, your weight or even how much money you have, making it accessible to them. And um, so I'm, I'm pondering how to create sort of these capsule collections for women and how to bring it back into that. Oh, wow. yeah. So wait for that. give me a little time, people. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's all in my, like, you know, my yeah. wheels are turning. So, well, so I just noticed myself too, where I'm attached to something. I'm like, oh, I want that because I want Elaine to step back again. <laughs> But that's your decision. <laughs> that's your but yes, I'll support you. you. Um, but yes, we we never. It's never too late, or it's never too many times to reinvent yourself. You know, and so how do we know how to do that? So for me, and you talked about this in your book too, and in the other work that you do, to hear this little voice that is giving you the wisdom that you need to make these difficult decisions and saying, "Hey, this is not." what I need to be doing right now. 
what I used to do to not hear the voice is to stay really busy all the time. If I ran around like crazy, I wouldn't be able to hear the voice Mm -hmm. because if Mm -hmm. I listened, I knew Mm -hmm. that I was going to have to make some changes and I wasn't ready to do that. that. Uh But just the, what Elaine calls unbecoming, I think is so unbecoming. And what we mean by that is just stopping the running, Mm -hmm. the, the, the going after the next goal and just sitting still for a minute and being, and then that space I can hear Mm -hmm. my own wisdom say, Mm -hmm. you know, this is, this isn't working. Let's do something different. And then the harder part is acting on that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> First you got to listen, then you got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this feels really uncomfortable. Mm. Well, I think courage, it takes a lot of courage to do this type of work. I mean, most mm. of us, I shouldn't say it's kind of a negative viewpoint, but a lot of humanity, I think, is reactive. They walk through life with blinders on. And it, nobody wants to, like, look at their shit like that. Oh, that's fun. Like, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think that, um, but I just don't think there's any real authentic growth and evolution without doing it. And then I'm like, well, if we're here to learn and grow and love, learn's a big part of it, then I need to learn about what I'm here to, I need to learn about myself. I need to learn about these lessons, these things, you know, who I am, how I'm showing up. Like, and so when I talk about unbecoming, I talk about sort of allowing yourself this opportunity to shed all of those roles, all of those identities, all of those assumptions, all those expectations. You know, I am a doctor, I'm a fashion designer, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a friend. And once you start to kind of allow some things to unravel, I kind of think the truth of who you are starts to peek out more Mm -hmm. when you allow yourself to like, don't, you don't have to be Elaine Turner, the fashion designer today, when you allow that sort of stillness is what I call it, like a stillness practice. I I mean, and it could be five minutes. I'm not a huge believer in all this 90 minute yoga. I mean, let's be blunt. We live in America. We don't have 90 minutes. I get that. You know, it's hard, but gosh, if you have five to 10 minutes to allow yourself to let some things bubble up and journal them out, or meditate, whatever it is. Like, again, it's not a one-size-fits-all model. I don't like to preach there's only one way. I'm totally anti that. There's not one path. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always like to say that we are all connected, but we are not all the same. Yeah. So if we're not all the same, not every practice is going to work for everybody. That's so true. It'll be different for everyone. And it's some version of just sitting still mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being. I totally agree with um, you. Because for me and everyone I've spoken to, I can't hear that voice if I'm running around like crazy. Oh, and, no. and we do it on purpose. I did it on purpose. So if you do yeah. that, there's I, there's no judgment at all because I've done all this too. Me too. But um, yeah, when we're running around like crazy because we are not ready to hear that voice that's going to cause our lives to change in ways that are going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to be beautiful, but also be difficult. You know, maybe we're not ready yet, but at some point... Um, when we're ready, then that is available, mm-hmm. you know, because it's all available. It is. Right? Busyness is a huge coping. Mm-hmm. I have. Oh, it. yeah, me too. That's one of my oh, favorites. Yeah. Um, if I'm <laughs> if I'm feeling something uncomfortable, I'll just get, I'll go shopping, I'll get really busy or clean the house <laughs> yeah. or just like do, do 500 yeah. projects. Me and I, I just do that, did that this weekend. And so uh, this isn't like, um, like we keep saying, it's not, we're not perfect in any way. We're trying to share, in fact, that we're not. And mm-hmm. but developing the skills to deal with those times, like, oh, okay, I can 
I can even see myself doing it. Like, mm. oh, I could see myself wanting to redecorate the house because I don't want to sit with the pain that my son's going to college and has some issues going oh. on with his gender yeah. and things like that. Yeah. I, I think I just want to redecorate yeah. the house. Yeah. Well, that isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. So maybe I will just sit still and not redecorate the house. Yeah. And I, I've learned to do that just recently. Yeah. It's a short-term fix, but then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I still have to. Now I still have the problem. Yeah. I just spent $10,000 redecorating my living room. Yeah. Not, not a, not a, you could do worse things, <laughs> but that one's not very helpful. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, time flies, doesn't it? So we're, we're getting to the end of Elaine's time. Um, there's so many things I could talk to you about. I might have to have you come back again. Um, but this, this thing she's doing now, check it out on Elaine. It's elaineturner.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. The Know Your Worth program, self-discovery, self-acceptance, self-compassion. Uh, this is life-changing stuff. And so, you know, I love that it's offered on an online format because these days we can't always go to courses because of COVID and other things. And so this is a, it's accessible. It's real. Um, and, you know, we're just trying to live happier, more peaceful, mm-hmm. freer lives. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing just before we wrap it up, I want to say, because I think sometimes I get, it's funny, like I'll get like a subtle pushback about sort of this sort of self-work, if you will, mm-hmm. from people that are like, yeah, but I mean, really, like, you know, what does that really mean? Or, you know, whatever camp you're in, you know, if you're type A ambitious camp where you feel like you can control every outcome or if you're very faith-based and you feel like there's not enough surrender involved in this self-work stuff. But I kind of wanted people, I just, it's really important to me to say, like, don't look at it like I'm sitting here saying like, oh, you, you're in ultimate control. I'm really saying the opposite. I'm like, it's really about knowing and accepting that you can't control everything. So you might as well learn more about yourself so you're so those little few things you are able to control you can feel more mastery over and you can feel like you can show up for yourself and for others more wholly it's not about go and run 5k marathons and be perfect and do all these things and do all this self-work that's not what I'm talking about I'm I'm just it's really about grace and about allowing yourself the opportunity to learn more about yourself so that you can love yourself more and love those around you more. And I I do think sometimes um, self-work, self-care gets a bad rap. And I just think it's important for the listeners to know we're not trying to, I believe in surrender. I mean, I believe Mm -hmm. in letting go. I believe in there's something bigger going on here, but I also believe it's my sort of human individual responsibility to do the very best I can being Elaine. And learning as much as I can to show up and the best version of myself. Wow. Well, that's a beautiful way to end it. And I'll just say, yeah, what you said, let's not make this self-work thing just another thing to yeah. be perfected, to go after perfection at and make it just another way to <laughs> beat ourselves up. Like, I'm not good enough at the self-worth thing. I need to try harder. No, no. We're not saying that. Like, it's not about that. That's what I'm. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I'm so on the edge of doing that all the time. Let me make this meditation thing another thing I can kill. Like, no, let's not do that. Let's just <laughs> stop so trying to become the best everything you can and just sit still and 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 be. 
for a while. Uh, ElaineTurner.com, amazing, amazing stuff. Don't forget to buy this book because I love it so much. It's been by my bed for two years and I keep reading it over and over again. Breaking the Glass Slipper, Debunking the Myths that Hold Women Back. And we'll put the info about that below. Elaine, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. We could talk for hours, obviously. Healing. (laughs) Because we've already talked for an hour. (laughs) And we just scratched the surface. So um, thanks for your time. You've been such an amazing inspiration to me and so many women. And it's joyful to have you here. Uh, Likewise. Thank you. 